my, I'm locking my lips because my mama told me, Daniel knows where this is going already, Dan, my mama told me, if you don't got anything good to say, don't say anything at all. And uh, after last night with the Dodgers and the Trojans, the lips are sealed. It's not a good night. It's not a good night. And so we are going to quickly move on to bigger and better things. Amen? Amen. Uh, you know, we've been going through this sermon series, Find Your Footing, and uh, it has been a blessing. Like, I just think God has spoken to us, but we're, but we're uh, thinking about these, the, this season of life that we have been through, and uh, we recognize that this has been a turbulent time. The last few years has been really hard. And uh, we have all experienced it differently, but, with, but all of us would say that the, the ups and downs, the, the difficulties that we have uh, experienced has at times made us feel like we have uh, lost our footing. We feel a little unstable emotionally or, or spiritually or relationally, and we want to turn to God's Word and to receive His help and His guidance. As I've thought about the last few years, I think that there are two groups that have especially experienced the difficulties of the last few years in, in distinct and uh, difficult ways. First of all, it is the oldest among us. And we've said that the oldest are the most vulnerable, right? Right? The oldest have, the, have the, their immune system is compromised. There's health concerns. And then it's also the emotional concerns of isolation. And, and then perhaps it's, it, perhaps it's uh, uh, financial concerns with how the economy has been affected by all of this. And our retirement savings maybe, maybe not be doing so well. And there's fears and anxieties among the oldest among us. But then on the opposite end of the spectrum, I think the youngest among us have had their distinct and unique difficulties. I recently saw a report that in 12 months of online learning that students did uh, from home, the average student advanced one month academically. In 12 months, they advanced one month. So in other words, they lost a whole year of learning. And we might not see how this affects uh, children developmentally until years down the road, but they've been, they've been affected psychologically or relationally. It's been difficult on the oldest among us and the youngest among us. And all of us in between have been affected spiritually. Because there has been, throughout this time, there has been a difficulty for people to find their footing in their relationship with God. I see this with young families. I see this with young adults. I see this all over the spectrum, but especially with younger generations who, are, who, are, who have lost their sense of connection with the Lord or, or maybe with the church. We have a decision before us. We have a decision that is really laid out before us in Isaiah 46 that we're going to look at this morning. And I'll summarize this decision in this way. If I could have the decision, it is, and it's coming. Wait for it, as they say when they want to build anticipation. Or do we have the decision? We do not. I will read it. The question that is before us is, Will you follow God or will you get sucked down into a, the culture of unbelief, 
around you. That is what we are wrestling with. Uh, We are wrestling with uh, the, the decision, will we follow the Lord or will we get sucked down into the culture of unbelief around us? That's what the Israelites were experiencing in Isaiah 46. They had been taken out of their comfortable circumstance. They were under Babylonian captivity, and now they were surrounded by a culture of idols. And the temptation was to get sucked down into the culture of unbelief by the culture around them. And God wants to put a decision before them. Will you follow me, or will you get sucked down into the culture of unbelief around you? And is that not the same decision that stands before us today? Because the culture of unbelief around us is so prevalent that God is calling us to a similar decision. And what is interesting when we turn to Isaiah 46 uh, to look at this is that this question is posed in such a way that it, that it poses it as a generational decision. What, I, the, what the prophet Isaiah is going to do here, and we'll look at this in a moment, but as we read it, we'll see that the prophet Isaiah looks at this uh, and he points out uh, application for the youngest among them and for the oldest among them. And as I've wrestled with this text, this is what I found to be so interesting, is that when we process decisions like, will we follow God, or will we get sucked down into the culture of unbelief around us, we make different decisions when we are in a multi-generational community. And I think that that is, uh, that is part of the advantages of being in a multi-generational community of faith. It helps us to see things and to process things differently. In fact, it helps us to make decisions to follow the Lord more when we are in that multi-generational community than we would if we were not. And so I'll point out, we'll elaborate on this as we go through, the, uh, through Isaiah 46 together, but that's a very interesting observation from the text. Let's look at this, Isaiah 46. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to Isaiah 46. Bring it up on your phone if that's what you so like to do. And, uh, but the verses will be on the screen as well. Isaiah 46, we're going through Isaiah in this sermon series. And today we are in chapter 46. It's a fairly short chapter, 13 verses. I'm going to pick it up here in verse 3. Isaiah 46, 3 says, Listen to me, you descendants of Jacob. All the remnant of the people of Israel, you whom I have upheld since your birth and have carried you since you were born, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. You you, and I will carry you, I will sustain you, and I will rescue you. And so now jump down to uh, verse 9. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is, no, there is none like me. I will make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I will say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. From the east I summon a bird of prey. From a far off land a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that will I bring about. What I have planned, that will I do. And then I want to close with the last verse, verse 13. 
and I am bringing my righteousness near. It is not far away, and my salvation will not be delayed. I will grant salvation to Israel, my splendor, my salvation to Zion, my splendor to Israel. Let's go before the Lord one more time in prayer. Father God, as we have read your word now, we pray that it would come alive. By the work of your Holy Spirit, may it come alive to speak to each of us in what you would have for us today. So we invite you now to come and to be our teacher and to, and to impress these words upon us so that whatever we are experiencing in our life, whatever turbulence, whatever difficulty of family or faith, that we might be able to look to you and find you to be our righteousness and our salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In this passage in Isaiah 46, uh, God is saying that he wants to do a new thing among the Israelites. Uh, uh, God has already said through the prophet Isaiah that he is going to bring deliverance for the Israelites from their Babylonian captivity. And he has said that the deliverance will be through uh, Cyrus, king of Persia. And that's who's referred to here in verse 11. Not by name, but that's what is being referenced here. A bird of prey from a far-off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. He's referring to King Cyrus from Persia. And God has said he's already going to do it. He's already prophesied. It's, as, it's like money in the bank. It's a, it's a done deal. But God hasn't done it quite yet. And before he brings salvation and the deliverance to Israel, he wants to put a decision before them. He wants them to choose to follow them because they are in this culture of unbelief. The decision point before God brings his salvation is that he, that he longs for God's people to say, God, I want you in my life. I want you to, to be the head of my life, to be the head of my family. God will never force his way into anyone's life. God wants all of us to be in his family. He wants to pour out his love and his salvation into each one of us. But it is received by an act of to say, God, I want you in my life. It's interesting to, that in this passage, to help them process that decision, he, uh, he encourages them uh, to consider what he has already done. Verse 3, it says, I have upheld you since your birth and have carried you since you were born. I've been with you since a tiny baby. And I've upheld you. I've, I've sustained you. And then he says, I've sustained you in your old age. Verse 4, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. You can sense that there is a, 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 God's beginning to lay this foundation from beginning to end. I am here. Verse 11, or verse 9 uh, through 11, he begins to, he highlights the past and the future again. Verse 9, he says, Remember the former things, those of long ago, speaking of what he has already done. Verse 10, I will make known the end, so in other words, what is in the future, from the beginning, from ancient times, what is, uh, what is to come. It's interesting that he's painting this, the past and the present, together in this decision. 
And finally, verse 11, he says, What I have said in the past, that I will bring about in the future. What I have planned in the past, that I will do in the future. God wants us to consider the past when we decide what we will do in the future. Because God's got a history. He's got a track record. We as a church, when we come together as a a church to uh, seek to follow the Lord, we're building off of the ministry that's been done before us and previous generations in, in, this, in the saints that have come before us. Am I right? And when we are faced with this decision today, it is a turning point for us. We have been through our own world-altering, jarring, global pandemic, right? And many are turning away from the faith of the old, as we would say. They'd say, that, that seems old-fashioned. That seems out of date. I'll find my own spirituality. I'll form my own beliefs. And they turn away from the historic faith of of the church. And I'll just say that it is not an ancient faith. It's a living faith. That God is at work still in our lives. And we see that when we come together as a community. And I want to just point out when we come together as a multi-generational community, we see that in vivid ways. I want to point out that uh, us, uh, we as a church, when we come together as a multi-generational uh, community, which we are, there are advantages to being in a multi-generational community. The older generations provide wisdom and perspective, right? They have learned experience. They have experienced things in such ways that it, that it brings wisdom to the table. I love what uh, Job 12.12 12 says, it says, Wisdom is with the aged, and understanding in the length of days. Is that not a good verse? Wisdom is with the aged, and understanding in the length of days. Older generations provide wisdom and perspective. Younger generations provide vibrancy and hope. There's an energy, there's a life, there's a, the hope for the future with younger generations. Paul said to young Timothy, Timothy, very young man, when 1 Timothy was written, he said, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and in love and faith and in purity. In other words, you, uh, Timothy, uh, young Timothy in your youth, set an example, be an inspiration by the way you live in your speech, in your conduct, in your love, in your faith, and in your purity. God is the one who has created, created the aging process. And he's done that in his wisdom. He sees that there are advantages that, that young people bring to the table. There are advantages that older people bring to the table. We are wise as a community of faith to tap into that, to celebrate every generation. In fact, I've noticed that those that have had a multi-generational support system around them through the pandemic are those that are oftentimes the ones that have fared the best. Those that have had younger ones to uh, care for or, or to help care for them have had that support. Those that have had older members to love and support them and, and, to, and to pray for them are ones that have had uh, those that have had a multi-generational support system, so to speak, have been the ones that have been the most healthy through this. And churches have been the same. I talked to a friend of mine a few weeks ago. 
He's in a, he's a, he's probably like 15 years younger than me. He's in a church that is almost all young adults. It's a one-generation church. And he said that after they uh, regathered, coming out of the pandemic, they're like 20% of what they were pre-pandemic. Now, I don't know if that's accurate. That's what he, that's, he told me. That seems just staggering, 20%. But he said they lack the wisdom and perspective of older generation. And I know a, I have another pastor who's a friend of a church that's almost all elderly people. Again, a one-generation church. And they've struggled to regather. There's a lack of vibrancy, a lack of energy, a, a lack of hope for the future. I'm, we're just so blessed, West Covina Christian Church, to be a multi-generational church. I hope we recognize that. What a gift from the Lord that we've got such a great senior, uh, senior members that offer us wisdom and perspe- uh, perspective. Our seniors have carried the load for a long time. We've been really blessed. In fact, in many ways, a lot of our seniors are still carrying a great load. Just in terms of their prayer for our church, in terms of their sacrificial giving, in terms of serving. And I just want to say to all our seniors, thank you. We're really blessed to have, that, to have a, a strong older generation. And I'm really thankful for our younger generations you know, we've got, uh, we've got committed young families that are, that are here for the long haul. They said, this is my church. I want to raise my family here. As we go through this, I want to also just paint a vision that I think one area of growth for us as a church is we need to reach more young families. If the, if the, if the church is to have a bright and vibrant future as we know we want it to have, this may be God's great commission call upon us, right? Jesus told us to go into all the world and make disciples, evangelizing and discipling. And our call is to reach young families, to evangelize and disciple, because that's the community around us. We are a community church. That's the hope of our church, the future of our church. And that's God's great commission call for us. I've always said That if I was to look for a church, I'm going to look for two things after I get uh, past the real basic things of got to have good doctrine, got to have good theology, all of those things. Uh, I'm going to look for a church that's a multi-ethnic church because because there's a a depth of spirituality in a multi-ethnic church. We get to hear from people that have had different backgrounds, different culture, different experiences. It challenges us in our, in our worldview sometimes. There's a, there's a, it, we go deeper in our faith when we're in a multi-ethnic congregation. And then I've also said the second thing I would look for is I would always look for a multi-generational church because they're more healthy. They're, they're stronger. The, it's, a minis- it's a vibrant ministry that you do not have when everyone is all together in the, in the same generation or the large majority are. There's something beautiful, something right, something good about being in a multi, multi-generational church. And I want to just give a personal illustration of that. Okay, I recognize I could pick out a lot of illustrations from our church. This one's a little bit uh, personal, but I'm, I'm going to put uh, Inez Harris on the spot. Inez is one of our senior members of our church. Inez, can you uh, give a wave all the way from the back row? 
Inez is what she calls a cracker. You know what a cracker is? Someone who loves their crocs. And uh, Inez loves, you'll never see Inez in any other pair of shoes than her crocs. And uh, so she's, she loves her crocs so much, she's on the lookout for people that also love crocs. And she noticed two young men uh, in our church that love crocs. And so I'll just single out Dawson because he's my son. Dawson loves his crocs. He loves to wear his Crocs. He's, he loves colorful Crocs. That's what he loves. And so Inez gave uh, Dawson some money to buy a new pair of Crocs. And uh, when she did, she sent this letter with uh, Dawson's money for Crocs. She says, a pair of Crocs. And here is the acronym. She came up with two acronyms. Crocs stands for Christ Respects Outstanding Children Sincerely. Isn't that great? Or Christ reigns over children's salvation. And then she went on to give him a Bible study. And I love it. Why? Read Matthew 19, 14, and 15. 19, uh, Matthew 19, 14, and 15 uh, talks about when Jesus says, Let all the children come to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. And, uh, and then she uh, went on, and she closes. And then she says, after the uh, Matthew 19 verses, she says, So have fun, run, jump, but walk with the joy of Christ. And I love it. That's great. She closes with Proverbs 3, 6. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is Dawson's favorite verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. So uh, Inez gave Dawson this money for, the, for these pair of Crocs and he was so excited. He read all the verses and when he was done, he wanted to write uh, Miss Inez a thank you note. And so here is Dawson's thank you note. He says... Dear Mrs. Inez, thank you for being so kind. Thank you for the croc money. I love my new crocs. Also, those things you said for crocs, what they stand for, that was awesome and creative. I will cherish that forever. Your friend, Dawson. And I admit, I've read that many times, and uh, I get choked up every time. <laughs> Because there is something beautiful and something good and something right about a 12-year-old boy calling a woman in her 80s his friend. And I know that it is sincere when he says, I will cherish that forever. Now, this, this is a vision of a multi-generational community of people coming together of different generations and just loving on each other well. And it provides a, a depth of spirituality that we do not get otherwise. There are so many advantages for us to be in a multi-generational community. A multi-generational church is a family church because family is made up of multi-generations, Right? I envision us as a church just having those kind of relationships where young people and people of all ages give hugs and handshakes to the people older than them and younger than them. I envision all these, these fancy handshakes that kids do. I don't know. how. Maybe that's a vision uh, too far. Uh, but you get what I mean. There's that family relationship where uh, people see younger people as their 
their nephews or their nieces or their grandkids. And, and younger people see older members as aunts and uncles or, or grandparents. There's a beauty to the idea of a multi-generational church as a family. And then with it, related to that, a multi-generational church is a church that has fellowship across uh, generations. I think we as a church, it's, it's time for us to really uh, uh, build up our after-church fellowship again, right? For people to sit down uh, together across the table and just have fellowship for a few minutes every Sunday after church. Amanda talked about uh, getting these yard games that we'll get for the Harvest Festival and setting them up on the patio after church every week so kids have something to do and families can hang out and an, and a, and an older man can play a younger guy in cornhole or whatever. Talking about flavoring the coffees like you'd get at, at Starbucks. Anyway, whatever it is, just to give it a feel that appeals to people of all kinds of generations because we want to have that fellowship. And some of our fellowships at a church will be geared just for the seniors and just for the, or just for the young families. But what we can do is we can support. And that's the third thing I want to make mention about, uh, about multi-generational ch uh, churches is that they support one another. And we pray for people. We pray for our older members, that God would be with them in whatever they go through. We pray for our young families and for our kids at school or whatever it is. But we offer each other support. We're in life groups. We're in fellowship groups. We're, we're, we're just building relationships with one another. There's support. And, and from that flows the, the fourth thing, which is respect. Multi-generational churches are full of respect because we give honor to those that are older, and we give honor to, to those that are younger. And we respect it, and, and, we, and we show deference to one another. Sometimes it may not be exactly the way we want to uh, see it, but we say, you know what, for the, for the good of someone who's a different age group and has a different preference for me, I'm going to defer to their uh, desires. And then lastly, a multi-generational church is a discipleship church. Because so oftentimes, discipleship happens from one generation to the next generation. And uh, we as a church, this is our main thing that we are about, is discipling one another, making disciples. Uh, the idea of multi-generational discipleship really comes out clearly in Paul's letter to Titus. In Titus 2.2 it says, Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and, and sound in faith, in love and in endurance. Likewise, teach older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they, the older women, can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children and to be self-controlled and pure to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one may malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them an example by doing what is good. You see what's happening here? Older, member, uh, older women are teaching younger women, and younger women are offering support to the older women, and Older men are setting an example for the younger men, and, and, the, and the younger men are then learning how to lead their families and do the work of the ministry together as they are being trained by those that are older than them. This is the beautiful vision 
of a multi-generational church. A church that has so many advantages. In fact, if you are here and you're looking for a church, this is a church that wants to be that kind of church. We are that kind of church. But there are areas where we can grow as well. It is always a work in progress. Until we reach heaven, it will be a work in progress. In fact, heaven is one place where there are not generations. You ever think about that? No one's getting born in heaven. No one's getting old and dying in heaven. And maybe that's why heaven is, will be far easier than earth, because we'll all be the same generation. Probably more likely has to do with there not being any sin and us being in the glory of God. But it is a single-generation community. But while we are here on earth, we do the hard work of uh, wanting to be the, uh, a multi-generational uh, community. And so now we are here at the decision point. As we said, we're, we're coming to a point where to make a decision to follow the Lord or to turn away in unbelief. And so let me first of all point, uh, give us the decision uh, for each of us individually. Would you choose to follow Jesus and to forsake the culture of unbelief? Would you, in your heart of hearts, say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to commit my life to him. Me and my, uh, me and my family, we're going to follow the, the Lord. And uh, perhaps that is giving your life to Christ to receive him as your Savior and Lord. Or maybe that is to say, I want to follow Jesus by, by double, down, doubling down on my effort to be an active member of the body of Christ. Because I see that if I am to be a follower of Christ, that's where my life is going to be built up. That's where I'm going to have the family, the fellowship, the support, the honor, and the discipleship. And so I'm going to commit myself to the ministry of the church. Now, you don't do that so that you can become a Christian. You know, as we have said, uh, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sleeping in the garage makes you a car. Uh, you know, you don't get to heaven by coming to church. But it does seem that if you're a car, in the garage is a good place to be. And if you're a Christian, being in the church is a good place to be. And so we as, as believers, if we want to experience the good life, if we want to experience all that God has for us, we will grow in our family relationships within the family of God. And then the second area of application is for us as a church, together. I think it is a, a decision point that we will say we need to create young families as one of our target groups. We want to reach out and, and we want to reach uh, young families. Now, that's not to minimize anyone. In fact, I hope that's very clear by this point in the message that I am saying all generations are important and, and this together a vision. But if we are to experience all that God has for us, we want to reach more young families. We want to see us have more kids in the children's ministry. We want to be able to come alongside families that are seeking to, to, to honor the Lord with how they are as a married couple or how, how they are as parents or, or whatever it is. We want to offer that support. 
We want to offer that discipleship. This is God's great commission call for us. In fact, as we talk about finding our footing as a church coming out of the pandemic, a finding our footing as a church includes, surely includes, making young families a, a target ministry for us, a, a target group for us to evangelize and to reach and to disciple. And then all of this comes to a beautiful conclusion in Isaiah 46, 13. It's the only verse I haven't touched on yet this morning, so I want to highlight the last verse of Isaiah 46. You see, I think as, we, as we've looked at these passages before, we come to this uh, verse now and we read it in a different light. Isaiah 46, 13 says, I am bringing myself, my righteousness near. It is not far away, and my salvation will not be delayed. I will grant salvation to Zion and my splendor to Israel. When Jesus came to this earth, he talked about, in fact, the gospel writers sum up his message in one sentence. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The Greek word there for near literally means it is at hand. It can be reached out and, and grabbed a hold of. The kingdom of heaven draws near in the person of Jesus. And, uh, and God says through Isaiah here that he's bringing his righteousness, his salvation. He's bringing the kingdom of God, the reign of God, all of God's goodness right here near, within, within, great, within reach. That if we just take hold of it, and receive it by faith and repentance, and all of God's blessings will pour, uh, pour out into our lives. And so my challenge for you today is, will you receive him? Will you receive whatever he has for you in your life? And that may look different for each one of us, but God's righteousness and his salvation is right here within grasp. If we would take it and we receive it by faith, Receive it individually and receive it as a church because I believe that God is moving us into this direction to, to see a new fruitfulness as a multi-generational community. Let's commit this to the Lord in prayer. With all of our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'll invite the prayer counselors to come to the front of the sanctuary because I sense that today may be a great day for you to come and to receive prayer. We've received a, a decision that's been put before us. And that decision may look different for each one of us, but ultimately it is a decision to uh, receive Christ and to believe in him in the midst of a culture of unbelief, the culture that we are all surrounded with. And so as I pray for us as a church today, I just invite you to hear the Spirit speaking to you. And if you have ears to hear and a sensitive heart, I believe Jesus is going to speak to you right now and he's going to give you the word that you need. Maybe you've already received it. Maybe it's right now in this moment. But you've come here this morning and, uh, and you're here for a reason. Jesus is going to draw near. He's right here at hand. And 
He wants to speak to us. God, right now, I just lift up each person here in this room to you, God. And God, I thank you for them. I thank you that you love them. You love their families. I think that you thankful I am thankful that you are mindful of everything that's going on in their life. And I pray that they would receive a little bit of a, a little bit more of you and your influence in their life this morning. Right now, God, I pray that you would speak to them and help them to hear what you would have for them. One of the words I know that God is speaking to you about is God just wants to say to you that he loves you. He cares for you. And he wants to be in your life. And as he is in your life, he wants to lead and God direct you into areas of great fruitfulness and great joy in great peace. That's how much God loves you. As we sing this final song, if you want to come and receive prayer, I encourage you to, to come. If you want to just sit in your seat and, and to sing whatever the Lord would have for you, I encourage you to do that. May you be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen.